Hello, welcome to another episode of the Society for Armenian Studies podcast series. My name is Asiat Arbinian, and I'm currently a visiting research scholar at the Stressler Center for Holocaust and Genocide Studies at Clark University. I have a pleasure today of speaking with Joe Laycock. Dr. Laycock is a senior lecturer in migration at the University of Manchester in the UK. Her research examines the consequences of forced displacement in the short and long term from humanitarianism emergency relief and resettlement to collective memory and the challenges of refugees and diasporic homecomings. Her current project focuses on refugee relief and resettlement in Soviet Armenia. She is the author of Imagining Armenia, Orientalism, Ambiguity and Intervention, 1879 to 1925, published by Manchester University Press in 2009. Dr. Laycock has published articles addressing repatriation to Soviet Armenia in Kritika and History and Memory, and is part of the editorial team for the Peripheral Histories Project. Today, we are here to discuss the volume Aid to Armenia, Humanitarianism and Intervention from the 1890s to the Present, published by the Manchester University Press in September 2020. This brand new volume was co-edited by Dr. Laycock and by Dr. Francesca Piana. Hello, Dr. Laycock. Thank you for taking time to talk with us about this new book. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for asking me and uh, agreeing to do this. It's uh, it's nice to have the chance to talk about it. Uh, it is quite symbolic, I think, that we are discussing this volume while the war is unfolding in Artsakh, and once again, Armenians have to fight for survival uh, and once again we hear calls to the world and to humanity not to turn a blind eye to support armenians and to speak out yeah it, it's it's incredibly sad that we have to be talking about this at, at, at this time when the the population in stepanakert and neighboring places are under bombardment and are being displaced by the current offensive um and it's it's sad that the issues raised here in this volume um about the way that the wider world engages with the fate of armenia and armenians has is is still kind of relevant it's very relevant so yeah right. yeah well, so without further ado, let's uh, discuss this important book. Um, so Aid to Armenia is published as part of a larger series called Humanitarianism, Key Debates and New Approaches. Why don't you tell us a bit more about the aim of these series of publications and how is this volume an initiative connected to the Aurora Humanitarian Prize and Initiative? Sure. Um, so the the this book series with Manchester University Press is um, it's connected with the Humanitarianism and Conflict Response Institute at the University of Manchester, which I've been affiliated with on and off for quite a long time since I did my PhD there many many years ago. Um, and it's an interdisciplinary centre, but in which um, historians play a key role. And the thing that we liked about this series is it's quite interdisciplinary it's quite wide-ranging 
um, and it's great to be published in the company of scholars that have had a, a real influence on the history of humanitarianism, like um, Dr. Rebecca Gill. Um, so it, it felt like um, a natural home, and, and our editor, um, Bechantet, um, um has been very, very supportive of the project and of, of the research on, on um, humanitarianism and relief in Armenia for a long, for a long time. I think the, the other thing that I like about this series and about the centre is that it's all about dialogue between historians, and researchers and practitioners as well. So working with them has given me the chance to talk about this book. For example, when we had training days with um, staff from Medicine Front. Medicine Sans Frontières and so on. So I think it opens up that possibility of a, a dialogue with practitioners too, which um, we really wanted. Right. Yeah. Sounds great. Um, and in terms of the Aurora um, initiative, we don't have any kind of direct connection to them, but when we were um, thinking about this book, there was a lot of publicity around the uh, Aurora initiative and it seemed to raise so many issues that um, that we wanted that the chats in this volume pick up on um, in terms of the way that uh, the history of humanitarianism is kind of mobilized in the initiative and the way that they've tried to kind of reframe it and their emphasis on um, not just victimhood but also um, agency and kind of commemoration of the genocide through um, supporting and promoting rights and humanitarianism on behalf of others so those kinds of things there's, there's that side of it but I was also really interested in how they use the figure of um, as well um, which is a it's 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 this kind of history of its intention isn't it because on the one hand she is a kind of a representative of survival and a heroic figure and on the other hand people have raised and, and I think rightly issues relating to the representation of gender and sexual violence and female suffering um, and the kind of ethics of humanitarian representations there so thinking about that project gave us a, a kind of a way in yeah right yeah um, so how did you and Dr. Piana come up with the idea of a volume focusing specifically on uh, Armenian uh, relief, on humanitarian relief for uh, Armenians? Because you have a diverse group of uh, contributors and topics. Uh, would you please tell us a bit more about this process? Who are the contributors and how did all these different authors come together? Yeah, it, I, I, one of the things that I'm really proud of about the volume is the range of um, authors that we've we've brought together here. Um, so Francesca Piana and I met through a, a variety of conferences. It, it is kind of a small world, um, especially when we were starting out. Histories of humanitarianism and Armenian studies, Armenian history uh, are quite um, are quite small worlds. And we kept encountering people who had the same kinds of interests, but would come in at these questions from very 
different angles. So, for example, um, I met Heitor Luero um, at a diaspora conference in Germany, and I knew so little about the connections between the diaspora in South America uh, and relief um, and intervention. And it was so interesting to me. And the chance to kind of bring that together with um, other people that were working on more contemporary issues. So, Sossi Kasparian, who has been has done some more work recently on um, the settlement of Armenians from Syria in the Armenian Republic. Um, it seemed like a kind of a there was a it was kind of crying out for a dialogue across different periods and different regions. And I think the other thing is that there were some really big publications around saying around. 2015 um, that marked that, that kind of I suppose came out in conjunction with the the, the centennial of the the genocide. Um, so Keith Watton Poe's work, but also an article by uh, Michelle Toussaint in um, the American Historical Review, and I could we could see that the case of Armenia was becoming of interest not just to historians of Armenia because I mean you know as well as I do that we're quite a, a sort of small field but as a case study for historians of humanitarianism in general and I felt like that that was something that we needed to ask some questions about so those, those were really important studies in in starting a kind of a conversation that I think um is ongoing yeah so so we had a, a conference um a day workshop which was supported by the Reluctant International Lists Project at um, Birkbeck in London and also by my previous institution, Sheffield Hallam. Um, and there were some other people at that conference as well. Um, so uh, other historians, so Anna Alexanian presented her work there. Uh, Amin Ishkanian um, was part of a round table, as was Don Chatty and Peter Gattrell. Um, and that kind of threw up new ideas, but it left us with a question of how we would get a volume that would kind of cohere, that would cover enough geographical, chronological ground. And, um, and then we had the question of, well, who has time to write? Who's publishing their, their work elsewhere? So it, it, there were some compromises there. And it's not a um a comprehensive volume but you know you can have so many chapters and and i think what we when we put together um they the chapters speak to each other really well i think right uh, the chapters uh, address cases of assistance to armenians during various time periods and in or from different parts of the world uh, they also contextualize humanitarian interventions and reflect on the evolution of the meaning of humanitarianism. So could you please talk a bit more about this methodology that you chose for compiling the volume and maybe also uh, mention a couple of case studies that you included uh, in the volume? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think that um, most of the most of the existing research on Armenia and humanitarianism had focused on the aftermaths of um, genocide, especially in um, the Middle East and especially in terms of the work of 
British and American organisations. So what the Anglophone Scholarship at least. Um, So that that, as we say in the introduction, has has come to be seen as a kind of a turning point or a watershed in the history of humanitarianism. Um, so we have a kind of a cluster of chapters that that work from that starting point and some kind of question the extent to which we see change during this period um, and present kind of, I don't know, um, and complicate that story um, and others kind of reinforce that, that image of a shift, but perhaps in different ways. Um, But then we also have chapters like your chapter that shift the focus to the Caucasus, which is, I think, really neglected in terms of scholarship on the aftermath of war and genocide in general, but in terms of the history of humanitarianism as well. So I really wanted something, well, Francesco and I really wanted something in the volume that addressed Russia because... There is so little out there on Russia in the 19th century um, and Russian kind of interventions. It's it, it's in there as the kind of object of Western intervention, but the, the other case study, um, the, the kind of looking at it the other way, other than um, Peter Gattrell's book on, on refugees, which is right. kind of Russian empire in the wider sense. Um, yeah, there's not a lot there. So those were, that's what we wanted to do. And, Again, in the case of Hator's article, there's so little out there on the South American case study in in English. Um, I don't know what the literature, the look, if there's a kind of a local literature, I, I don't know. Um, but just connecting those different those different geographies um, Australia as well so that's a kind of an emerging field where uh, and that throws up all kinds of questions about um, empire and the way that that um, shapes humanitarianism in in ways that we hadn't um, possibly thought of Um, and then sort of there is a a big gap in the middle of the of the volume Um, and we we talk about this in the introduction. Um, it's not a history where you can kind of have a case study per decade because we are working with the kind of ebbs and flows of international interest and also the ebbs and flows of different um, periods of crisis and their um, aftermaths. So we kind of jump forward to um, towards the, the end of the Soviet period with Katya Dus's chapter on um, the earthquake of 1988 and the response of uh, the diaspora and of the wider world. Uh, and then come kind of right forward to the present with um, Sossi's work on Armenian from Syria and Lawrence Brewer's chapter, which addresses peace building um, and the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict and which is obviously extremely um, sadly extremely relevant now but I think is important for the book because it makes us question a lot of the assumptions about the kind of framework in which relief is carried out when you look at the context of the de facto state and and the the kind of possibilities for intervention 
um and the way that is reframed i think that 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 makes us kind of look back a little, a little and question what we're saying about you know um when and where humanitarianism or humanitarian intervention can happen uh, and what its limits are yeah right absolutely uh well because we're talking about interventions um humanitarian interventions yeah. uh one question that um emerges a lot, uh, especially in the new literature on human rights, uh, international humanitarianism, is this importance of defining the concept humanitarianism. Uh, does this book touch upon these issues of differences or boundaries between charity and philanthropy, humanitarianism and development? Uh, are those boundaries easily identifiable or perhaps rather blurred? yeah um it this is this is a really a tricky question and and the question of i think origin stories and boundaries have really preoccupied historians of humanitarianism to a perhaps an unusual degree um i wonder it's still a fairly kind of young branch of history i suppose and i i think maybe as it developed this need to kind of demonstrate what humanitarianism wasn't so not some eternal wellspring of compassion and a kind of just expression of uh, of um you know altruism that emerges wherever there is need maybe prompted a and and also the need to kind of counter the idea that it was just a reflection of kind of principles of certain organizations so it in particular the red cross um mm -hmm. maybe led to kind of a, a preoccupation with de definition um and saying what humanitarianism is not and i think what this case study does and i think this is one of the benefits of having this kind of um longer chronology and, and focus on one area is it 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 shows the messiness of the boundaries that it's really difficult to draw clear boundaries um uh, you know some of our authors will have different perspectives on this um but for me i the kind of making a typology of where of intervention humanitarian intervention and humanitarianism and charity is not always the most productive approach i think what is more interesting is to think about how people define what they are doing um and then how other people seek to define what they're doing and how that sometimes kind of clashes and how people can strategically change how they identify what they're doing you know in in order to work in a a different kind of political context where one kind of intervention is not acceptable you know making something apolitical making something development where human where the language of humanitarianism doesn't suit so i'm thinking kind of the the sort of soviet case study from the volume um this kind of language of progress and development it is used to describe the same kinds of intervention that happens elsewhere and is called humanitarianism so i think we just i think the volume shows up 
those issues, which which other historians have raised before, but I think this kind of illustrates it in a um, in a particularly kind of effective way. Looking looking kind of over this long um, long chronology, yeah. yeah. Also, I guess making the uh, the topic more complex and showing this multiplicity of actors that may not exactly be defined as such, but still play quite an important role in different stages of these, call it humanitarian operations or development programs or charity uh, organizations um, and uh, bringing them all together into this discussion uh, I think just enriches the research and the whole field itself. So, yeah, yeah, I think there are a lot of informal um, actors that we see that we that aren't attached to kind of large organisations or that work on their margins um, that make this into a more complicated story. So. I think one of the things that was really interesting is the the place of diaspora organisations. So the AGBU, for example, where, where when you read kind of some histories of humanitarianism, um, I think that the role of diasporas has sometimes been, well, that it hasn't been attended to enough, but sometimes they slip, it slips through categories because it's not what springs to mind when somebody um thinks of a humanitarian organization but again if we look at what is happening today we can see how important diasporas continue to be um in mobilizing and organizing relief um and that that has itself a, a history it's not something that just came from nowhere in the post cold war world Right, and it's not even about the social networks. It's not about the global connectivity that we have nowadays. It actually worked even in you know early 20th century or during the Soviet period. So these are uh, amazing, I think, um, points that is important to touch upon. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in his afterword, uh, Peter Gattrell uh, writes about the new approaches to the history of Armenians and their experiences, focusing not only on suffering, but on agency. Uh, and Gattrell writes, and I quote, not all stories are about victimhood, end quote. Ron Suni also elaborates on this point by adding that in this book, Armenians are not simply victims, but actors in their own drama. Could you talk to this aspect of the volume, please? Yeah, um, yeah, this, I think this is really, it's a really important issue that we kind of um, grappled with when we were trying to put this volume together. I think histories of humanitarianism sort of started out with the history of big international organisations, often Western, European or American uh, organizations um, and I think as the field has developed there has been a realization that while these are important critical histories um, 
paying attention only to them um, marginalizes and misses a lot of important um, activities and processes. And I think this this is has manifested in a particular way in histories of um, Armenia and humanitarianism, um, which have really the work has focused on international intervention. And you know, my own first work focused on on British intervention in Armenia. And I think that work has its place and has its value. But we need to kind of shift beyond that. And uh, I, you know, and I think um, paying attention to Armenians not just as the recipients of of, of Western aid organizations but as actors in the field of humanitarianism is really important and i think it is part of a bigger shift in the field i'm thinking of things like i don't know um discussion of like south south humanitarianisms um and even say pierre fuller's work on local relief practices in in china that kind of decenter the idea of kind of western humanitarianism as um the norm or the standard by which everything else is judged and i guess that in turn if you want to kind of extend this argument um makes us think about our vocabulary and when and comes back to this idea about the definition of humanitarianism and when it becomes more useful to start to stop using humanitarianism and start talking about relief um and whether we're talking about a kind of a um yeah a set of practices or the, the kind of ism uh, of humanitarianism um so what did that mean in practice i guess for this book um that we wanted to bring together cha- some chapters which addressed international interventions um western interventions well we've got we have australian south american interventions as well but also paid attention to um armenians and recognize that much of the aid to armenia is provided by armenians whether that's through the the large diaspora organizations i I mentioned um, and that Bahi writes about in this book, um, the AGBU, or whether that is smaller scale, like the um, villages, um, the, sorry, villages sounds um, entirely wrong, the, the local population on um, the Caucasus Front who initially respond to um, displacement in 1915. Uh, and uh, are again doing in in the first months of the war remarkably effective in in self mobilizing and responding to to the plight of um of refugees and survivors and i and i and i think that brings us to another issue here that what we see as as staying on the caucasus front is that um the, the boundary between those who provide relief, the humanitarians, and the refugees or the victims is often very blurred. And it's often um, the refugees themselves that will 
mobilize and set up small scale organizations that sometimes become bigger organizations um, are, that sometimes are um, brought into international organizations. That's certainly what I see when I look at kind of Near East Relief or the British Love Mayors Fund in the Caucasus. They're very, very reliant on, um, on individuals who have themselves been displaced to then become um, to work with them and become teachers or nurses or administrators um, and I suppose for historians where this becomes difficult is that um, the work of these um, of local actors often gets marginalized in institutional records especially of international organizations but I, I don't think it is even as straightforward as saying you know if we if we looked at the records of one of the committees um based in um Tbilisi or in Yerevan we wouldn't necessarily see these kind of intermediary voice or we wouldn't necessarily read about the, the actions of these kind of intermediaries and people that are working on the front line because they're not always an institutional priority that's not to say those those voices um aren't ever present but i i think there is a question of it's not just which archives do you look at it's um, what kind of organization was this um how do they what are their priorities yeah yeah, I could talk about this for hours. I will time myself not. So I'll, I know, I'll, I know. It's uh, it is a really a very important and interesting topic to discuss. And uh, since you mentioned uh, the um, archives and what sources um, you look at, can sometimes um, also direct um, how the narrative is, uh, going, uh, to unfold. So many of the chapters in this volume, uh, drawn sources from a range of unexplored or, um, underexplored international archives, as you mentioned, emphasize actually in the introduction. Uh, why is that factor so crucial for the volume, this volume in particular, but also just for scholarship on humanitarianism and relief work for Armenians in general? Yeah, I, um, I think this, in a sense, takes us back to the idea of kind of writing the history of humanitarianism as the history of kind of major organizations um and there are archives so for example the icrc archives in geneva which are very accessible um well geneva is very expensive so it, it's not always accessible that's that's my kind of privilege as working at a, a british institution that um is shaping my response there um but in terms of technically those archives are open or the other archives less less so um, um let me come back to 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 where I was going so I think it's really important that we if we want a kind of a picture of the 
variety of activities that were happening on the ground and the way that the process of providing relief um, is contested and the way that people respond to being the recipients of relief and then um, react to that and, and shape their own lives in, in the context of being a recipient of relief, then we need to kind of broaden our archives and, and, and in the broaden the range of archives that we use. And, I, you know, I think even, even if you're writing the, the history of um, a major org institute a major organization you want to go beyond their own archives and, and historians you know historians are doing that now but I think again in the Armenian case it's really important because otherwise we reinforce this image of kind of western donor organizations Armenians as recipients and, and it obscures what is going on um, in the diaspora and in the Caucasus um, itself and I, you know, there is there is a problem I think sometimes, which is I with the case of Armenia in histories of humanitarianism in that it's written by people that don't necessarily know Armenian, and if you don't can't look at the Armenian language sources. Um, then that is that's a problem. Um, it, it lets you tell a story, and an important story sometimes, but it, it lets you tell part of a it, part of a story, and there there is something that that isn't there as well. Mm, um, and I think for us, it was important to have chapters in here that were written by people that could access Armenian sources. Not not all of the chapters. Some of them do something entirely different and rely on Spanish sources or French sources, which are equally important in a in a different way. But in terms of archives, we wanted it to reflect the kind of the need to engage with sort of multilingual sources um, and archives. Um, yeah, and, and I think I suppose one of the other things that I, I keep coming back to is that just adding more and more archives doesn't always kind of improve a project or solve a problem or um, it's all about how, you know, how you how you read an archive just because um, you can access something, just because an archive is is has Armenian language sources in there doesn't necessarily mean that you're 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 magically going to um access the voices of refugees in there it's I'm sure you know this from your own kind of research that it is there is another layer of challenge in how we kind of engage with what we find in the archives um and how we as historians or the extent to which we can um recover voices or or not and the the kind of issues of positionality and and ethics that 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 we have to think about when we when we do that so yeah yeah quite important um aspects and factors you're raising there and again we could talk about it forever (laughs) (laughs) fine yeah 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 Um, but let's um 
go ahead and talk about uh, one more uh, important question, which is um, who is the targeted audience for this publication? Uh, what do you expect them to take away from, from the book? Yes, from um, this volume. I, I think that, um, I don't know, maybe even five, ten, five, seven years ago, I'm not sure it would have been easy for us to persuade a publisher that we could, um, that a volume on Armenia and humanitarianism was a kind of a viable and a relevant thing to do, or, or a publisher interested in a kind of a generalist audience. But I think now the case of Armenia in the history of humanitarianism has become a, a quite a a common reference point um, so and I see this in my teaching because um, when I get I, I get students now that say well you know can I write a dissertation on something to do with the Armenian genocide I wouldn't have seen that seven or years or so ago so I think that there is much more familiarity and therefore I think this this volume will kind of be um, of more immediate interest to people beyond um, the field of Armenian studies than, than it perhaps would have been once. And I, I think it's important that we have these case studies and, you know, this is a, a national case study, but it's a, a disparate case study as well um, and a regional case study. But I think these kind of in-depth case studies are, are really important um, in... In it for the history of humanitarianism, as important as the kind of thematic volumes that we see out there, because they let us kind of think through ideas um, <clears throat> in a concentrated case study and, and over a long period of time. Um, so I, I think that historians of humanitarianism in general will, I hope that they will um, engage with, with this book. Um, but I, I think that... Um, there is definitely something in there for um, Armenian studies as well. And I kind of sit at the edge of Arme Armenian studies. I, I don't really fit neatly in any discipline. I'm kind of a historian of humanitarianism. I'm kind of an Armenian history, kind of a Soviet historian, kind of a migration historian. Um, and I'm okay with that, but it kind of confuses some people. Um, but... And I think sometimes if you are kind of on the margins, it can sometimes be hard to fully or to kind of, how can I put this, um, demonstrate the importance of what you're doing for Armenian history, especially if you're not Armenian and you're not kind of part of that community. So... Um, well, I have heard a lot of scholars, international scholars, calling you the Armenian girl, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that one blonde um, Armenian girl, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think that there is, um, even, I think in, in, um, in trying to write this book, in terms of Armenian studies, I am always, um, really 
inspired by the work of Sebu Asmanian and his kind of the way he talks about interactive histories and looking outwards. Um, you know, he worked on a completely different period, incredible historian. Um, but that's always that that was in the back of my mind. This kind of there's an Armenian history at the core, but it's reaching outwards as well. Um, and hopefully, it's a kind of a two way um, dialogue. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, I think historians of displacement, there's a lot in there um, for, 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 for them as well. Um, and yeah, and maybe because we have Lawrence and Saucy's chapter, Lawrence is a politics scholar, so it's so saucy. Um, totally different methodologies which I didn't touch on when I talked about archives but interviews and a kind of a personal reflection there um I hope that um it will reach an audience that isn't just historians as well um and and I, I think that again we come back to the kind of horrors of what is going on this week um and I think that history which is obviously mobilized in lots of different ways during this conflict is still having a, a, a grasp having a good understanding of of the history of international intervention in and on behalf of Armenia and the surrounding regions is important for us not because it can teach us how to respond to what is going on currently. I don't think that there are straightforward lessons, um, but it can make us question, and I hope it will can make wider audiences question things that are taken for granted about what is, um, who is responsible, what certain areas are like, where conflict happens, where there is a duty to intervene, in what case people should have, should look outside for aid and and to what extent that can obscure local voices and and how we can kind of i suppose um engage without imposing um and i say we um and i'm kind of collapsing myself into this kind of um <laughs> international kind of system um but i i think there is something about um reflecting on the history in order to think about current current responses and unpick what is taken for granted um, that is really important. Absolutely. One of the things we witness nowadays uh, from experts, started from experts, but uh, especially looking into uh, news reports and reflections of different organizations on what's going on in the region, it shows that there is need for a lot more education on the region itself, on the peoples living in the region, and the history matters. It's actually central to understanding what's going on right now. Um, yeah, I, I think without, um, you know, I, it kind of stuns me. And, and I know I shouldn't be surprised, but, you know, still when I either when I look at the coverage in the press in Britain and, and the coverage has been much less than I would have hoped. And I, I know there were lots of different dynamics shaping that, but the kind of tropes that I saw in the, the work that I did 
um, years ago on my on representations of Armenia in the Caucasus in Britain in the late 19th century, this kind of clash of civilizations and Christianity and Islam and area of endemic conflict. It, right. It's all there, even if it's not outright, it, there, there is something kind of underlying that, you know, that, that's never kind of, that is persisting or is resurfacing at, um, at the moment that really needs kind of critical reflection I think right well my final question is about your current work what are you working on now right um so currently I am <laughs> I don't I think so many of us are struggling to kind of find any time to do research at the moment um but I'm currently trying to write up research I've been doing for about the last five years or so on um, relief and resettlement in early Soviet Armenia and the, the wider Caucasus. And that's um, uh, it's a project that I kind of tentatively call borderline humanitarianism. Um, mm-hmm. And it's about the interaction between diasporic Soviet and international organisations um, who are uh engaged in in trying to provide relief um uh rehabilitate as the terminology then and um resettle refugees who are being displaced by war genocide and then conflicts in the region after uh words um yeah and it's again it's been a long and kind of multi archival project that I feel like I could carry on researching for a long time, but at some point I've got to sit down and finish writing this um, finish oh, wow. writing this book. So that that that's my current um that's my current work. Uh I also want to write up some work that I did it quite a while ago on the British response to the um nineteen eighty eight earthquake, which has been kind of on the back burner for a long time. But yeah, that's where I am. That's where I am now. Those are fascinating projects and indeed need um, some really profound research and analysis. And I hope that you come up with not one, but two books about those <laughs> topics yeah, yeah. so that we can again, you know, have this kind of conversation and discuss those publications. But um, for now, allow me to thank you for providing um, emerging scholars like myself this opportunity to contribute to uh, such fantastic projects and uh, of course thank you for you know taking your time and being with us today to talk about this volume no and um, thank you no thank you for having me and thank you for contributing and, and that's that's something um that I should have stressed earlier on that's one other thing that we really wanted to do with this book give a space for early career researchers to um, present their research um, and also foreground um, women in Armenian history and histories of humanitarianism, which we need much more of, I think.